Hello, this is Pamela. And this is Whitney. And we are the, the Witch, Witch Source. Source. We are your source for personal and magical empowerment. We are here to help you remember that you are magic. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the show. So this episode is all about crystals. And our mission is to empower you. And so I want to share with you my research and knowledge on crystals, because as we go through these episodes, uh, we're going to be sharing different crystals with you that you can use and incorporate into your daily life um, or into your life for a time period uh, that you need to work with it. So I want you to have knowledge and understanding of how crystals work, how to work with them so that you can feel empowered when you are using your crystal and that you know exactly what to do, how to work with the energy, uh, and feel confident that it is working for you. Um, so I'm going to start at the very beginning on the history of crystals. So one of the first book of stones was written by an Arabian alchemist, and I'm probably going to totally slaughter his name, so I apologize. But Abu Musa Jabbar in Hayyan, over 100 years ago. And several religions and cultures have valued stones for thousands of years. Um, the Bible is filled with several references to crystals and stones. Um, specularite was mined in 4,000 BC in Africa for cosmetic and ritual purposes. Lapis lazuli and jasper has been mined for over 5,500 years, according to ancient medical texts in Israel. Amber has been found in graves dating over 800 years old, and a calcite mirror was discovered that was created over 30,000 years ago. Moldavite was found with the statue of Venus of Willendorf in 1908 and dates back to about 27,000 BC. So culturally, stones and crystals have been used for thousands of years for protection, such as in amulets, uh, medicinal uses like gem elixirs, cosmetically for their colors, religiously for worship and burial purposes, and for decorative uses, uh, and to denote prominence for royalty and priests all over the world. So from Egyptians to Aztecs, Mayans, and to the Chinese and Sumerians, Greeks, Romans, Persians, and several more, crystals were essential. And what's interesting is that even though many of these civilizations had no contact with each other, they used the stones for the same medical and metaphysical and healing properties as we do today. So cultures that had absolutely no contact with each other use certain stones for the same purposes. And that's kind of mind blowing. But I think that goes back to being able to work with a stone and its inherent properties. It just as further proof and validation to me that yes, these things work. And they knew this thousands of years ago. So one of the big things that has come up recently is are your crystals and stones ethically sourced? So stones are mined all over the world 
and some stones are exclusive to certain areas of the world, and others are widely spread. There are also stones that have formed from meteorites crashing into the earth millions of years ago. Moldavite, for example, is believed to have formed 14.7 million years ago. Um, and I love Moldavite. <laughs> uh, some mines have small operations that are owned and operated by small families, and it's their main source of income, while others are mass mine and large production. The question of ethically sourced crystals come into play in how the crystals were mined. And this is important because crystals carry energy and memory frequencies and vibrations. So if mines are poor or if stones are mined in poor work conditions or conditions that are unsafe or where workers are not paid a fair wage or even slave labor or even worse child labor, um, that kind of birthing energy of the stone when it made um, its birthing passage from in the earth to out of the earth can sometimes be very negative or violent. You know, when you think about all the energy of those people that are pulling that out. And so that carries on. So it holds true for the entire supply chain as the stone makes its way out of the earth and into your hands. Um, and some people and families are actually forcibly displaced so that suppliers can have access to mines. And I didn't know until recently um, that a large majority of lapis lazuli is mined in Afghanistan and that these mines were being run by the Taliban. So the money made from the sale of these crystals went to support the Taliban. So that brings another issue of what is the money in the sales of these crystals being tied to. Um, and that was something that I was completely unaware of until recently. And so we also want to be aware, too, of how the environment is impacted by the mining of gems, gems and crystals. Um, as people like us who love and appreciate stones and want to work with them, I feel like we do have uh, a responsibility to not support certain types of mining. Um, and, you know, that might not hold true for you, but it holds true for me. And so um, one thing that's important to me is discovering the source of a stone. Um, and oftentimes that can be really difficult because sometimes people who are selling these stones aren't even aware of where they were actually sourced from because stones are passed from buyer to buyer to buyer. And so there's no transparency um, in in what's going on from the mine to your hand and crystals have actually now become a billion dollar industry. So, you know, just in the recent, I would say in the last 10 years, I mean, the use of crystals and the interest in crystals has really spiked. Um, and it's a billion dollar industry. It's just kind of mind blowing. Um, but when you're looking to purchase stones and crystals, I would just recommend that you really try to find those that have been ethically sourced. And again, I know it's hard, but just do your best. And so then the question comes up, what about the stones and crystals you already have? And maybe, you know, you have no way to go back and trace. And I think the best thing to do in that situation um, is to just send love and light to anybody who may have interacted with those stones prior to them arriving in your hand. 
Um, and always make sure to cleanse your stones. It's so very important to kind of clear out the energies and do a reset on anything that that stone might have picked up in its travels. And so when I was researching um, the idea of ethically sourced crystals, there's an organization out there, it's called IRMA, and it stands for the Initiative for Responsible Mining Assurance. And it's one of the front runners for setting up rules and standards around mining of all types of resources, um, including crystals and gems. So they are bringing, bringing together many major corporations and suppliers to ensure fair compensation for workers, as well as safety regulations. And one of the most recent companies to join the movement is Ford Motor Company. I mean, when you think about resources being mined, um, as far as, you know, gold, silver, steel, you know, those kinds of things, you know, it's, it's really far, far reaching. Um, and a lot of times they find crystals and stones that they used to just throw away when they were mining for these other resources. And now because there is such a, a boost in interest in stones, they've stopped just throwing those things in the trash, which is just almost heartbreaking. Um, but they realize there's money to be made off of those too. And so what they're doing is they're setting up certifications that companies can join to say, you know, like Ford Motor Company, that they are only going to purchase resources that have met these standards that this company is putting in place to make sure everything is good for the environment, the workers, um, and that things are just being, you know, dealt with responsibly. So if you want to learn more about Irma, you can visit their website, responsiblemining.net, and you can just dive in and learn more about that. But I think this is something that is still expanding into the crystal industry, but it's definitely a great start. So crystals themselves, I want to dive into how and why they work. So Crystal structure and forming. Crystals uh, fall into different classifications, and they are the classifications are determined by their inner structures and then their mineral makeup. So it's actually the different uh, minerals within crystals that lead to their coloring. So things such as the chemical content, radiation from the earth, um, the earth and solar emissions, all that contributes to the crystal formation. And all of these things affect a crystal's energy and which turn leads to its healing and metaphysical properties. So forming happens as different minerals, chemicals, and or gases are moved through the earth's various levels. And the ever-changing amounts of heat and pressure lend to the forming as well as how slowly or quickly they moved in the process of forming. And then some formations actually melt and restructure and undergo chemical changes to create a new inner structure within the crystal lattice. And as some crystals make their way to the surface, they eventually interact with water, which leads to additional changes in formations. So you have to remember that a lot of these crystals are in the earth. So they are part of the earth's infrastructure and have been being created and formed over millions of years before they actually make their way to the surface and are discovered. So that's a lot of changes that they're going through and they're 
literally the infrastructure of the earth that we then have that we can use and tap into. So one thing that I want to make sure I mention is the hardness scale. And this was invented by Frederick Mose in 1822. And it's important so that you know how to care for and cleanse your stones. So the scale is between 1 and 10, with 1 being the softest softest, and 10 being the hardest. A diamond is known as the hardest natural mineral. And so a good rule of thumb is anything harder than 7 is safe to get wet and can be cleansed with water. So just to give you an idea of what the scale looks like. So if you have a stone that's at a hardness level of 2, that means you can scratch it with your fingernail. Uh, a mark of three can be made with a copper coin like a penny. Um, a four hardness means that it'll mark easily with a knife. A mark a five hardness level means that it will mark with difficulty with a knife. A six hardness level um, marks with a steel file. And seven, a hardness level of seven means that you can actually scratch a glass window with the stone. So, it all goes all the way up to 10 of diamond being the hardest, which is an extremely um, hard natural mineral. Like I said, it's the, the, the hardest natural known mineral. And so you can actually scratch several things with a diamond. Um, so the internal crystalline structure is formed by atoms and they cannot be changed. So the inherent crystalline structure, once it's set in place, it cannot be changed. And it is formed by how the atoms shape together. Now, in these categories, there's, well, there's seven different crystal lattice structures that will be made. And that's what falls into the crystal, crystal classification. It all has to do with what that internal structure is within the crystal. And I also want to mention that the outside shape of the crystal has absolutely nothing to do with the actual crystal lattice within the structure. You have to actually look at the crystal uh, underneath a microscope to see its, its crystal lattice structure. And so there's seven different classifications. And then um, there's an eighth classification, which has no structure at all. Um, so that means there was no formation at, at all. Um, but each type of structure contributes to how the energy is conducted. So these atoms that vibrate at certain frequencies inside this lattice structure and that holds its form cannot be changed. And that determines how the energy is used by the stone. So it can be highly uh, energetic and useful for balancing. It could encompass energy, which is good for clearing. It could be stabilizing or grounding. It can integrate energy and opposites. It could radiate energy, purify. It can absorb energy or transmute it. And those that have no structure um, tend to allow energy to pass through and be enhanced. So those stones are useful for growth and manifestation. The ones that have no actual crystal structure, that eighth category. So crystals are either piezoelectric or pyroelectric, and that's determined by the crystal classification, which again goes back to the lattice structure of the atoms, um, and it's not determined by the mineral makeup. 
However, the minerals that are present within the crystal do affect the degree of which they are either piezoelectric or pyroelectric. So piezoelectric is due to pressure being applied to the stone and an, an electric current is created and an electric field around the crystal is created. So an example of a piezoelectric crystal would be a quartz crystal. A pyroelectric crystal happens due to being heated and cooled and the stone creates a polarizing charge within the crystal. So an example of a pyroelectric crystal would be tourmaline. So the rate of the vibrations of the atoms within that structure, that crystal lattice, is what distinguishes high vibrational stones from low vibrational stones. Um, and how a stone works with you depends on your frequency and vibration. So remember, the frequency of the stone cannot be changed because that's within the atoms and the rate at which those atoms are vibrating and then the structure of how those atoms form together depends, you know, on how that determines rather how the energy is used within that crystal. So the crystal cannot be changed. So what happens when a stone is placed within your aura or your energy field is your energy then tries to align with that stone, with the frequency that it's putting out. So sometimes you'll have that a stone doesn't feel right for you or it doesn't work for you. And what that means is it's just not a good vibrational match for you at that time. But that could change because we're always changing. Our energy and our frequency is ever changing and we ebb and flow. And so people who are at are at a lower vibrational state, tend to be more grounded, and they're more run by ego and emotions and the material world and survival needs. And people who are at a high vibrational state tend to have increased creativity, intuitive knowing, metaphysical awareness, and a connection to divine intelligence. Now, we want to be both. So ideally, People want to attain a balance between these two states and have a free flow of energy from being from their groundedness to their connectedness, which means the energy is free flowing throughout your body. Um, and you want this to be like a daily goal. Um, and that helps bring balance into your physical life as well and to your physical being. So if you're not grounded enough, there are actually several different side effects like being spaced out or even uh, eventually it can lead to physical disease or dis-ease. Um, and that just happens because if you're too high vibrational and you're too spaced out and you're not grounded, it's hard for your body, your physical body, to be here in the now, in the physical plane, because you're not having any groundedness or connectedness to the earth. Um, I can say that I've definitely had experience with this, I know when I first started down my spiritual path, it was everything high vibrational. I wanted all my upper chakras to be wide open. I wanted to be constantly receiving information. Um, and I actually got really, really sick, which I'm sure will come up uh, as you get to know us and um, learn more about us. Um, but I did get very, very sick and it was from not being grounded. I actually had zero interest in being grounded. And I completely ignored uh, my lower chakras. And so that's something that you definitely don't want to do. You want the balance. 
And so what crystals can do for you is help bring your vibrations down. So if you're too airy fairy, as I like to say, and you're too out there and you need to get more grounded, um, if you're having problems with your body, you probably need to be a little bit more grounded. And so grounding earthing stones, um, those are ones that are, um, they're just more solid, like your, your jaspers and your black stones, um, your orange stones, those are, and your brown stones, don't forget them, um, they're going to help you be more grounded. And what happens when you're more grounded is actually you can pull in um, your higher, when your higher chakras are open and you're getting spiritual information and you're getting those intuitive hits, you know, and you're opening up to your spiritual gifts, it helps you actually bring that into your physical world and make use of it in your physical world by being grounded. So you can actually bring those energies in and ground them, which makes them more realistic and brings them more into your daily reality. And so what crystals can do for you is help you shift. So if you're too grounded, like if you are, um, say, depressed, that's almost a sign of being too grounded. So then you want to bring in some high vibrational stones so that you can start to bring more balance into your body and you're not as grounded. Again, it's all about balance. It's so, so important. So you want to make sure when you're working with stones that you have a good mix of grounding stones, earthing stones, and your vibrate high vibrational stones um, so that your frequency can adjust and your body can balance and you can have good even flow of the energies running through your body. So that's how they work with you. Um, you are changing to match them. And so that's why it's really important to not only dive into crystals and when you're looking for crystals that are going to support your intention, the different minerals actually are what bring in the properties, the metaphysical properties, um, and the healing properties of the stone. So again, the crystal lattice is how the energy works, whether, you know, it expands, it absorbs, it transmutes. Um, but the minerals themselves that make up the stone hold inherent properties within them. So that's why you have some stones that can help you with communication, that can help you with grounding, with manifesting, um, with opening your spiritual abilities. All of that goes back to the minerals. And so the crystal as a whole is working really, really hard to help bring you in alignment. And they will work with your intention. So before I go any further with that, let me back up into how to purchase and choose your stones. So once you kind of find a good re retailer that you feel like is ethically sourcing, um, and this can be, you know, from a local shop or a shop that you're going to physically go to or also online. So once you do your research and you feel good about where they're getting their crystals and how those crystals are making their way to you. You can go in and you can start, if you're not sure where to start, and crystals, there's so many, and it can get very overwhelming. I mean, they're finding new crystals all the time. I mean, it's a constant. So it's not like we found them all. No, there's always new ones being discovered. Um, so it can start to get really overwhelming. So you can almost start by color. Um, 
of a stone. So if you're not really sure what the metaphysical or healing property is, um, or maybe what their chakra association is, and if you're not really sure what chakras are, are we're going to do a whole series on chakras because they're so, so important into getting your energy where it needs to be to really do some awesome magical things, which is what you're here for because we're the witch source. We're all about the magic, but you got to start with a strong foundation. Okay, so I digress a, a little bit. So bringing it back in, um, you can start with the different colors um, or you can research a metaphysical property such as I want to manifest or I want to ground or I want to uh, strengthen my intuition. Um, and you can just do a good Google search um, or you can get some good resource books. So a lot of my information and my go-tos for crystal uh, information is I use books by Judy Hall uh, and Robert Simmons, um, and Melody has some great books and I'll get to those soon. I'll mention all that and also some good online resources, but you can go and look up, okay, this is what I want to work on and this is what I'm looking for. And so when you're going to purchase, whether it's online or in the store, it's a good, it's good to always know what your intention is when you're going to buy a stone. So knowing what it is that you're wanting the stone to help you do. And then ask your higher self, source, spirit guides, whatever you work with, God, goddess, doesn't matter. Um, ask them to guide you and direct you uh, to find the crystals that are going to best help you and your purpose. And then you have to really be open and allow and trust your intuition and pay attention. That's the biggest thing. Sometimes we miss the signs because we're just simply not paying attention. So let's say you're going into a store just trust any kind of pull that you get to a certain area of a store. Um, you know, if you land at a bowl of stones, pick them up and see if there's one out of that whole grouping of the same stone that maybe speaks to you. Um, they can also vibrate in your hand or they can feel warm in your hand. And that's one of the signs that that's the stone for me. And that stone wants to work with you. You're a good match. Uh, it knows it can help you and work with you. And that's when you get those tingles or the, you know, the vibrating and such. Now, if you're online, uh, let yourself go down the rabbit hole. You know, if you're getting pulled to different areas or sections or, or what have you, or you find a stone that just intrigues you, trust it, go with it. Um, and one advantage to shopping online that I tend to find versus in a store um, is there's more information about the stone. So you can actually read about the stone and see if it's going to work for you. Um, because a lot of times in stores, they either just tell you what the stone is, but they don't tell you what it does, or they give you just a brief snippet of what it does. So you can get more information online. But of course, the advantage to purchasing in a store is you get to physically choose your stone. But if you're shopping online, you just have to have faith and trust in, in the universe or whatever your source is that you're going to get what you need. Um, if you're shopping online, I would definitely recommend that you check out reviews before you actually make a purchase. Make sure that the shop has really good and high reviews. You might also want to see what their return policy is in case you get some stones and you're like, yeah, I'm not vibing with this and I regret this purchase. Um, it's good to go ahead and know what the return policy is. And another thing about purchasing online, I would recommend that you do an image search of the stone so that you can make sure that the stone, the stone that they're selling online and they're telling you that, hey, this is amethyst, 
for example, go research, do a quick Google search of images on amethyst and make sure it really looks like an amethyst. Um, because a lot of times I find that, that things tend to be mislabeled or they look nothing like pictures of a stone that, you know, the shop has it labeled as it doesn't look anything like it. And they totally have it wrong. And I don't think that's intentional. That's probably just what they were told. And maybe they didn't do their research. So do yours. Um, and then from time to time, this has happened to me. I fall in love with a stone online or in the store. And then when I get it home, it just doesn't seem to work with me. And all the wonder and fascination and the connection to that stone is gone. And I think this happens for two reasons. The first one is I need the stone. It wants to work with me. I'm just not ready for it yet. So maybe there's some things that I need to work on, some blocks I need to clear, or some energy that I need to get rid of before I'm actually able to work with a stone. It still wants to work with me. I'm just not ready for it yet. And it will oftentimes come back around full circle to, yes, that is the stone I need right now. And then it will work with me and it will vibe with me again. Um, the second thing that I've had happen where I fall kind of out of love with a stone is that the stone was never actually meant for me. It was meant for somebody else in my life or somebody that I would cross paths with. And I've had this happen quite frequently, actually, um, because I love stones and I just get so many because I'm just so in love with them. But oftentimes I end up giving them away. And I know that can sound kind of crazy, but I'll just come across people or family members and I will just, it will just drop in my head, give them this stone. And so I was just the path that that stone had to take to get to its true home. And I'm completely okay with that. And I think you'll find that in some ways you're rewarded for that, just for being that open channel for which that stone can travel through. Um, you know, and it feels good to know, Hey, you know what? I, you need this stone. I have this stone. I'm going to give it to you you know, and you're helping that person. And that feels really good. And I'm glad that the stone made its way to its new home where it needs to be, where it can be valued and appreciated and help that person. Okay. So just know if you get a stone, you get it home, you know, that might be the case. Still love it. It still loves you. It's just not for you. And that's okay. There's other ones out there. I promise. So the next thing you want to do after you get a stone is to be sure to clean it. So crystals need to be cleansed and cleared of any energies that may be stuck to it from its birthing process, from its handling and trading, and from others who have touched it. So example being that bowl of stones that you found in a store that you were sifting through, other people have sifted through and touched it, you know, and so a little bit of their essence could potentially be left on it. Also, crystals need to be physically cleansed from time to time. You know, they get dusty too, and they need to be cleaned off. Um, and as a stone is working with you, if it's doing healing work, you know, if you're working with a physical ailment, you're trying to heal, um, or if you're wearing a stone often uh, to have it work with you, uh, they want to be, they need to be cleansed and charged and cleared because they're working really hard. So, you know, when you get dirty, you want a bath. And when they get dirty from pulling energies off of you or, you know, protecting you by keeping negative nasties away from you, you know, you want to give that stone a good cleansing. 
Um, it's always good to cleanse any hand-me-down stones or jewelry that you get. And I do want to note, it has been said that citrine, kyanite, and azotulite are self-cleaning and they never be need to be cleansed. Um, that being said, I still think it can't hurt, right? Like it's not going to hurt anything to just give them a good cleansing too, but they are said to be self-cleansing. Okay. So here are some ways that you can cleanse your stones when you get them. I think one of the most popular ones that I've come across is sage. So this is your traditional white sage, um, and you give it a good smudging. So you're just going to light the sage till it gets a good flame, blow it out. It'll smoke. And then you pass your crystals through the smoke. Um, and I know there's a lot of cultural debate around using sage. Um, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm just saying it is one that I came across, um, that is used quite frequently. Uh, I know there have been issues of whether white sage has been ethically sourced or not, if it's being, um, over, not produced, but just, you know, just too much of it being taken from the earth and not being replanted. So there, I know there's some debate around that. So I'm not dismissing those things. Those things are important. If the sage calls to you for you to use it, I would say follow your gut, follow your intuition, follow your instincts. And if that's not being called to you, if that puts up some kind of, you know, issue for you, pick one of the other ones. It's all good. Um, if you don't want to burn the sage, that's okay too. You can leave the crystals in a bowl of dried sage. You just want to make sure that you're replacing the dried sage regularly. Another option is Palo Santo or incense. So I know Palo Santo is extremely good. I, I love to work with it. It's got so many amazing properties and things that it can do. I mean, it, it's one of those uh, that just grounds me instantly. It's great. Um, and you, so you can do the same thing, kind of like the sage. You're going to light it, let it start burning, blow it out, and then run your crystals through the smoke. And you can also just pick, um, one of your favorite incense, uh, frankincense is a good one and light your incense, let it be smoking and pass your, your stones, um, through the smoke of the incense. So water is the next one. And again, you only want to put stones in water that have a hardness, hardness level of seven or above because some stones will dissolve if you put them in water. So to cleanse the stones with water, you can just run them under your tap water. You can leave them in a bowl of water overnight. Um, you can also do salt water, but again, I would definitely check the properties and the minerals of the stone itself because you don't want the salt to damage your stones. Um, an indirect method of doing this would be to get a large bowl of water or salt water, and then you place an empty bowl inside of the bigger bowl that doesn't have any water in it. And then you can place your stones within it. So it's kind of, it's called the indirect method of water cleansing. Um, you can use rice. So you can take uncooked brown rice and put it in a bowl and then bury your stones in it and leave it overnight. And that'll, that will cleanse them. It will pull out, uh, any energies that need to be cleansed from the stone. And the main thing to do though is to know and remember is to throw the rice out afterwards. You do not want to eat it. Um, you can do the same thing with salt. That's another option. Um, you can just, you know, put your stones, bury them in a bowl of salt. Um, there's debate 
of whether you should use Himalayan salt, sea salt, table salt. In my opinion, it doesn't matter. But if a certain type of salt is calling to you, go with it. If you don't have that, a certain type of salt, if you don't have Himalayan salt, use table salt. It is completely fine. Um, just make sure that you get all the salt off the crystals. You can use a little uh, soft paintbrush to make sure you get all the salt out of the crevices and cracks. You just don't want to leave the salt on there. Uh, it is also not recommended to put porous, water-based, or metal stones in salt. So things like opal, lapis lazuli, malachite, hematite, things like those, um, pyrite, they have a bad reaction with the salt. So again, you want to do your research on the stone. You want to know what your stone is. You want to know the hardness level. You want to know the mineral makeup. Um, another option I came across is candlelight. So you can just light a light, uh, light a white candle and then just pass the stone above the flame. Don't touch the flame, but just pass it above. Um, with all of these cleansing options, the biggest thing is to hold the intention that the stone is getting cleared and cleansed. So that's the biggest thing. You want, with any of these, you want to just intend, and or you can state it aloud, that this crystal is now cleared of any and all energies. Um, and I, you know, my intention is to cleanse these crystals, just something like that. Just, it helps if you have nothing, which is fine. You can, another, um, way that I've run across of cleaning crystals is to use your breath and intention. So I believe it's true that you can believe what's true for you, that there is life force in breath. And so the thought is that we all hold spirit, source, energy, the thing that keeps us alive and going and breathing um, in our breath. So you can hold a crystal, you can visualize it being surrounded in white light, and you hold the intention of that white light clearing and cleansing the stone. And then just take a deep breath and slowly and gently blow on the crystal as if you're blowing anything um, out of it that needs to be cleansed. Uh, okay, so the other option, which is a good one, uh, is moonlight and sunlight. Now, there's some debate over whether you should charge or cleanse your stone with these. I honestly believe it just goes back to intention. But if something doesn't feel right for you, trust that and go with it. But I do know that sunlight, now this is true for me, sunlight can cleanse and charge your stones. So to do that, and you can do it with the moonlight too, um, you put your crystals out in moonlight or sunlight. Full moon, of course, is great for this, um, for a few hours to cleanse them. But when you're using sunlight, be sure that the rays reflected through crystals like quartz are not positioned where they can start a fire. Because you have to remember, crystals reflect and reflect light. So if you are putting your quartz crystals or similar structured crystals outside in sunlight, just make sure you watch them, put them in a safe area where the light's not going to reflect through and start a fire. Um, and you really only need maybe an hour or two. Some people like to put their stones out in moonlight overnight. Um, another option if you're, if you can't leave them outside or take them outside is to do a window seal that gets good moonlight that comes in or sunlight. Um, and, you know, if your crystals can't get wet, if you know that they're, you know, on 
less than a seven on the hardness scale, you can't get them wet, and you're worried about like the dew if you leave them out overnight. Again, you can do a window seal, leave the blinds open, let the rays shine on it. You're good to go. Okay, there are cleansing stones. So carnelian and clear quartz clusters can clean your stones as well. However, you will need to cleanse the carnelian and the quartz cl crystal cluster after. Um, leave the two stones together overnight with the intention of cleansing. So you can leave, you know, um, if you get, say, four or five new stones in and you have a large clear quartz cluster, you can just put them around um, the clear quartz cluster overnight and ask that that quartz cleanse them. And then you can just have the one quartz cluster to clear after and cleanse. Um, so, and you can also use, like if you have a bowl of tumbled stones, you can keep carnelian in that bowl um, or a bag of stones. If you keep um, a bag of tumble stones with you, make sure you have carnelian in there because it will keep those stones cleaned. And then you just clean the carnelian regularly. Another option is a cleansing spray. So um, there's a few options. You can probably find some online, um, but there's, it's a cleansing spray. It normally has you know, maybe some sage or some clear quartz or something in it that is a good cleansing. Um, and you can find them in shops online, but a light misting, just a very light misting will clear and cleanse your stones. So again, I, you have the crystals that you're worried about with water and getting wet, but a, a slight mist is not going to deteriorate your stones. So that's okay. Uh, a great option is sound. So again, if you have nothing that you can work with, um, sound is definitely an option. Um, I have a, one of the uh, Tibetan singing bowls, and it puts out a beautiful tone. Um, but you can use a singing bowl. You can use tuning forks, um, which those are awesome too. You can use just a regular bell, um, or you can clap your hands. So the thought here, and why it works, is sound is vibration. So it makes sound waves and vibrations. And so the vibrations will clear and cleanse the space by making the sounds. Um, so again, set your intention, put your stones out. You can clap your hands. You can do the singing bowl, tuning forks, whatever your choice is, and just intend that they are being cleared and let the sound waves do their thing. Uh, another good option, the final one here, if you have nothing, you can bury your stones back into the earth to be cleansed and kind of reset. Um, so you set the intention as you bury the stone that you are going to be cleansed and cleared. Um, and this is grounding stones. Love this. It's great for grounding stones, but it can also recharge them too uh, by putting them back into the earth. And if you are not able to bury them outside, or if you're worried about losing them once you bury them outside, or again, you're worried about wetness in the soil, those kinds of things. Um, an alternative, like if you're in an apartment, you can use a potted plant. So, you know, if you've got an indoor plant, you can always just stick, a, stick them in that, you know, overnight, bring them back out, rinse them off, what have you, you're good to go. So those are some options for cleansing your stone. And that's like resetting and clearing their energy so it's ready to work with you. Um, after you get your stones cleansed, you want to charge them. So if you've ever worked with a crystal and you had great results and then you just feel like it's not working for you anymore or something feels off, that crystal probably needs a boost. It just needs a recharge, like a battery. 
Um, so some options to charge and refresh your crystals. Um, I'll go over those. Just make sure you're charging them regularly. It doesn't hurt. So like you can do um, a good routine of, you know, monthly cleansing them in the sunlight um, and, you know, well, a good way to do it, you can charge your stones in the moonlight, right? So set them out and you just every full moon. So you're getting, so they're getting their monthly clean, right? And so you can set them out in the full moon and they'll get cleansed and charged. And then like on the new moon, you can set yourself a schedule to take all your stones outside and get some sunlight. It's just a good option. I think it feels good to live by the moon and it's just one more thing that you can do to incorporate some magic in your life and get your stones working for you as well. Um, so it's a good, it's a good, uh, schedule for me. It works well, but sunlight can charge your stones and you know, this can, you can leave them outside or in a window seal 30 minutes to two hours. Um, do not leave fluorite in direct sunlight for longer than 30 minutes. So, um, something within the crystal lattice, as well as the minerals, it can shatter. So be careful when you're, you know, charging your fluorite, um, you just don't want to, you don't want to shatter your fluorite because it's such a beautiful stone. I just would hate for that to happen. So just a word of caution there. And a lot of your colored stones like amethyst will fade in sunlight if you leave them in the sunlight for very long. It just starts to fade the colors, kind of sun bleaches them. So, you know, it's, it's not going to hurt them if they're in the sun for, you know, 30 minutes up to two hours. They're not going to deteriorate in color. Um, but I would never leave like an amethyst in a window seal forever because you'll see the color start to fade. Um, I once went to uh, have a medium reading um, and the readings were being done um, in this the, the this person's house and she owned a, a metaphysical store, but the reading was being done in her house and she had this beautiful uh, sunroom and it was, it had a beautiful fountain in it and it had all these gorgeous stones, but it really hurt my heart to see these large chunks of amethyst just being faded and faded and faded and drained um, by being left in that sunroom and getting so much sun for so long. Um, obviously it didn't bother her, for her, you know, rose quartz and amethyst to be fading, but I was definitely sad. I was like, no, move them. That's terrible. Um, but she was good with it. There were her stones. So I just stayed in my lane, never said anything, but anyway, yeah, don't, don't, I just don't recommend it. Uh, especially if you're in love with the color, just, just don't. Um, okay. So another way to charge your stones is to meditate with them and just envision that light being, recharged with, you know, your source energy, your, your light, um, or whatever your connection to whatever divine being you work with, whether, you know, God, goddess, specific deity, Hecate, what have you, um, ask them to recharge the stone. And, you know, you can feel the recharging happen pretty quickly. I mean, if you're in tune, you know, and you're, good at meditating, you know, meditate regularly, you will feel, you know, the hit and the charge run through you and charge up that stone. And it's going to feel so much more powerful and work with you so much better. Um, selenite can charge your pieces. So you can use a larger piece of selenite to charge smaller crystals in between their sun baths. So, um, just be sure to 
cleanse your selenite and make sure it's getting its fair share of sunlight. But I love selenite. I have a selenite tower um, that I you know, charge things with, um, especially pieces that I wear every day. I have a lot of jewelry and, uh, I'll charge them, you know, just put them overnight when I take them off uh, next to the selenite. Um, selenite is one of those that it will dissolve and break down in water. However, if you need to do a quick rinse under the tap, you know, it's not going to hurt it, you know, just rinse it real quick, dry it off. It's okay, but definitely never leave selenite in water. And selenite is not one that I would leave out overnight for a moon bath just because the potential for rain or dew or what have you, and it will dissolve. So I wouldn't recommend that. And kyanite can also be used to charge your stones. Now, this is research that I've seen in different books. Um, Judy Hall's one that says that you can do this. So, you know, some people debate it, up for question, do what feels right for you. And again, quartz clusters can also charge, um, your smaller stones. You just want to make sure again, that you're cleansing, uh, and giving your quartz cluster a good charging on its own. Um, the cluster quartz clusters can actually be programmed specifically for energizing and charging other stones, you know, so you, when you're using it in that way, you just want to make sure that you have programmed and activated the quartz cluster to do that work for you. And that's when it's going to work best. Uh, amethyst clusters can also do this. So that being said, you got your stones, you got them cleansed, you got them charged. You're ready to activate and program them. So what does that mean? That means that you're asking that crystal to work with you and you're setting an intention for it to help you. And what this does, it better helps Focus the energy of the crystal and helps it align to you and your specific purpose. So, um, but you want to make sure that your programming aligns with the natural properties of the stone, right? So you're not going to pull a rose quartz uh, stone to help you manifest a whole lot of money. It's kind of outside of its its realm of, of working. Now, that's not to say never, right? Somebody might have a great experience with that. Wonderful, but it's best if you align and program your stone to be in a vibrational match with what that stone naturally does. If you're wanting to call in more self-love or if you're trying to pull in love, use the rose quartz. That's a perfect alignment. Okay, so to activate your crystals, you're going to hold the crystals in your hand and you're going to ground your energy. You're going to center and open up to your higher self. And bring in light source energy again. Please don't take any um, negative connotations towards me saying source. Your source is your source. Whatever works for you, that's what you use. Okay. Um, I just see source is my knowing. Uh, I also work with a God and Goddess, but source is the direct line for me um, to bring in that powerful light energy. Um, which works wonderfully in my life. I have results. So there you go. But you need to find what works for you. Um, but you hold the stone, ground, center, bring in source light energy, um, and then just sit with the crystal. So once you're good and centered, sit with that crystal and see what it has to tell you. Because sometimes the crystals will give you messages that they have to share with you. That is how crystal readings work. So if you've ever had uh, a crystal reading done, um, what they do is, you know, you 
they hand you the crystals, you hold them, you ask your question or what have you, you hand them back and then the reader reads them. And that's because the crystals will give you messages. And some crystals have their own messages for you of maybe why they chose to work with you. You know, if, if you chose a stone, you picked it up in the store, it's vibrating in your hand. Okay. Get it home, get it cleansed, get it charged, sit with it. What does it have to tell you? Because it chose you as well. So it might have something specifically to work with you on. Now, if you're doing this and you don't feel a connection to the stone, just stop. Don't go any further because if you're not feeling connected, now it might not have a message for you. That's not what I mean. You should, you should feel something with that stone. Even if there's no message for you, you should still feel some kind of a connection. If you don't, it's probably just not the one for you right now. So you can back away and try again later. That's fine. Um, again, that crystal came into your life for a reason, like previously discussed. So, you know, that one you might have to back away from. But see if the... Okay, so if you're going to program. So if that one doesn't work, you know, then you stop. Stop there. Now, the ones that do work for you, you feel that connection. You know, if you have any guidance or messages from the stones, you've received it. Okay, um, then you can program a stone. Oh, I also wanted to mention, so high vibe stones can cause a healing crisis. So what that means is high vibe stones, if you're holding a high vibrational stone and you're doing this process and you start to feel nervous or you start to feel emotional, um, really emotional, like you can't handle it, you're emotionally triggered. If something like that happens, um, when you're trying to activate the stone, you need to remove that stone from your energy because it's, it's just too much for right then. Um, and you want to make sure you go and get regrounded. Um, and a good way to ground is to hold a smoky quartz between your feet. So just sit on the ground and put that smoky quartz, hold it between your feet and it will help you get grounded and all of that should pass. So I just wanted to mention that about high vibe stones. If you're trying to work and activate those. Okay, so programming. So once you've got this connection and you want to make sure you have a very clear intention for the stone and what you're trying to do and you want to be as specific as possible, it really helps. So once you've attuned to the crystal, you ask it to help with your purpose and intention and you want to make sure you say thank you afterwards. Um, Giving gratitude is great. I know I always feel better when somebody tells me thank you. So you probably are the same. Um, so make sure you thank the stone and you can just say thank you to it three times again, out loud in your head up to you. Um, and then put the crystal somewhere where you will see it frequently or keep it with you. So if you can wear it, wear it, keep it in a pocket, place it somewhere where you're going to see it all the time and know that it's working for you and helping bring about your intention and just be sure to spend time with your crystal every day, multiple times a day is great, but if you can, you know, just pick it up, hold it, you know, Talk to it for, you know, just a minute, put it back down, just vibe with it. Because again, it's trying to align, your body is trying to align to the frequency of that stone to bring in what you need. You know, it's pulling in these energies to you. So the more you work with it, the faster it's going to work. Okay. So, uh, working with the crystals, there's different ways. So you've got it cleansed, charged, activated, programmed, um, you can use stones for a lot of different purposes. So a great way to use a stone is by dowsing. And dowsing is a form of divination using a pendulum. 
And a pendulum is a crystal point suspended on a chain or string or something similar. And how dowsing works is, or the thought process behind it, but how it works. Um, when you ask a question of the stone, um, the energy and frequency vibrations are then sent down from your higher self, right? So when you're going to douse, you get grounded, you get centered, you get connected, and then you, you know, go to ask the question and you've already, you know, cleansed, charged and activated and program that stone to work with you for dowsing for the purposes, purpose of dowsing. Um, and then when you ask a question, the thought is that the vibrations, frequencies come down from your higher self or consciousness or source. And that energy goes through your hand that's holding the chain of the pendulum. And then it travels down the chain and then the pendulum reacts. So typically pendulums have set movements to mean yes, no, or unknown. So an example might be the pendulum will swing towards and away from you to mean yes, or it could swing left to right to mean no, or it could circle to mean maybe or unknown. And each pendulum is different. So you want to get to know your pendulum. You want to know what its movement means for yes, what it move, what its movement means for no or unknown, um, unable to answer. Another thing, it could just vibrate at the bottom of the chain. You'll just see it vibrating and and pulsating and it doesn't actually move in any direction. So that's an option too. And you want to find out what does that mean? So you can use stones for dowsing. Um, pendulums are really cool to have and they help for a lot of different things. Uh, not only asking questions, but to find exact locations of things, um, which we'll get into. So another way to work with your crystals is by doing a grid. So you can place a grid and what that does is it creates an energetic net around a space to help with protection, um, to energize a space, depending on your purpose or intention, um, which you want to align to the stones that you use. Um, you can do lots of things. So when you're placing a grid, the main thing to remember is you need to activate the grid. Um, so you can do that by using a crystal wand um, I personally use a selenite wand. You can use your pendulum to activate the grid, um, or you can just use your hands and visualize connecting the crystals um, with an energetic link. And just make sure that you touch all the stones. So if you're doing like um, a square, for example, make sure that you link that last, you know, your third stone back to your first stone so that they are truly linked um, and it's just directing energy and, and activating them in that way. So you can do several types of grids. So you can grid your body. You can do grids around your body, on your body. You can place the stones um, for healing, for grounding, to help with meditation, um, for spiritual connection. There's so many things that you can do. You can place the stones on your chakra points um, using chakra stones. You can grid around your body or different specific points on your body. Again, you just want to make sure that the stones you're using align with your intention and purpose. Um, but like, for example, you can place a phenocyte on your third eye while meditating to help open your third eye and assist with information downloads. So again, that would be a single point, 
but you could ground the bottom to help bring it in and bring the information into your reality um, by placing a grounding stone at the bottom of your feet and then placing that on your third eye. So there's some, there's some options, lots of options with grounding uh, your body or I'm sorry, gridding your body. Um, You can also grid your land, house, or rooms. So you can easily grid your land for protection by placing protection stones like obsidian or black tourmaline in the four corners of your property. You can, you know, actually bury them at the four corners of your property and then make sure you walk the grid, connecting the stones and activating that grid for protection. Um, You can do this also for your home. Um, If you don't have actual land, like if you're in an apartment, you can, you know, place them in the four corners of your apartment, or you could even grid a single room, um, you know, to whatever your purpose is, whether that be to bring in creativity, prosperity, protection, love, peace, harmony, whatever you want to use, you can grid specific rooms, the house, the land, Um, you can grid your office space, for example, if you have an office, grid the, the grid that office. If you are in a cubicle, you can grid your cubicle. Just place the little stones and little areas in each corner where they're going to be out of the way, tucked away if you don't want people asking questions. Um, but you can grid a bedroom, for example, with rose quartz and amethyst to bring in love and peaceful sleep. Or you can grid a bedroom with passion stones like red jasper to spice things up. So there's several different types of layouts. So the four corners is the easiest one, Um, you know, as mentioned with gridding your house or land, etc. You can do a triangular grid to neutralize negative energy and bring in more positive energy. You can do a five-pointed star grid um, to help with protection, to bring in love and healing energies. And you can do a five-pointed star grid in a space um, and around your body. A six-pointed star grid can be made by placing um, triangular. So you're going to do two triangle shapes that intersect with the points facing away from each other. And that's the six-pointed star grid. And it's good for protection and manifesting. And again, you can do this around your body. And sometimes when you are gridding, again, bring in your pendulum and ask it to help you find the best location to place your stones. So When you work with your pendulum, you know what the messages mean. It will help you figure out the best location to place your stones for gridding. Um, There's also lots of grids out there that you can purchase. Um, You know, they're typically etched into wood or there's altar cloths with different grids printed on them, such as the Tree of Life, Metatron's Cube, Flower of Life. Um, And you can, you know, make these grids just as powerful you know, as anything else by just following your intuition and placing them exactly where you need them to be. And you can come up with your own grids, you know, just ask for how can I, you know, ask the universe or what have you, how can I create a grid that will work for such and such intention and then just trust and follow the hits, pay attention again. Um, Paying attention is very important. So you don't miss anything. Um, You can place clear quartz points in between the main uh, crystals on your grid, and it just accelerates and enhances um, and makes it you know, that much more powerful and further directs the energy. Okay, so another way to work with crystals is by keeping them in your energy field or wearing them. 
So, you know, again, they work with your vibration and frequency. So having them in your auric field is really helpful because it's going to be so much more powerful working with you (laughs) rather than just, you know, sitting on, you know, a window seal or, uh, sitting on your desk, for example. Now I do have stones that sit at my desk that help with, you know, concentration, focus, creativity, communications, things like that. So I'm not knocking those. They're great. If you've set them for that intention and purpose, fabulous. But I find a lot of times I work best with stones with wearing them. So I have a lot of jewelry. I keep tumble stones in my pocket. You can keep them in your purse. You can keep them in your bra. Doesn't matter. However, you can keep them close to you. That's when they're going to work the best. Um, I also have stones that I keep uh, on my nightstand. Um, and I have some that, you know, travel with me anytime I go anywhere, uh, especially for protection, just to keep my energy, my energy. Um, so they travel with me. You can keep crystals in your car for protection, safe travels, lots and lots of options. So many things that you can do. Um, another way you can work with crystals is to take them into your ritual and spell work. So a great way for a witch to use crystals is to bring them in. You can grid your sacred space before you're starting a ritual. Um, You can place them on your altar. You can use different stones to represent the elements, the directions, um, or you can dedicate certain stones to help you work in and call in God and goddess energy. Um, You can work with your chosen deity and dedicate a stone to them. And when you want to work with that deity, you work with that stone. There's so many options. Um, grid your altar, you know, that's an amazing thing to do. Um, you can also bring a specific, uh, stone into your spell work. So program and charge that stone and ask it, you know, to help you with your spell work. Um, you know, and then depending on what spell you're doing, keep that stone with you or place it somewhere as that daily reminder that your spell is working. Um, Make it your talisman. So many options. Um, And then once the spell has worked, it's manifested, you can clear the stone and use it for different spell work, reprogram it for something else or use it in your next ritual. So a lot of magical ways to use stones. So meditation is another great way to work with your stone. They can enhance your meditation. They can help you reach that meditative state to calm your mind, to help you get grounded, um, to help you bring in and understand messages. Um, they can help with, you know, working, connecting with your guides. So many options here. And high vibe stones are good um, for meditating and as well as your grounding stones. So, you know, you can really go all out. Um, so, but for like daily meditation, um, if you have, so like I have a hard time grounding. So I like to use like moss agate to help me get really grounded and bring in, um, the grounding so that I can get better messages and make them actionable in my reality when I meditate. And one of my favorite high vibe stones for meditation is Herkimer Diamond. And I have a piece that I absolutely fell in love with the moment I saw it in the case in the back corner of the store. It was literally love at first sight. And when I picked it up, it just was vibrating and pulsing with energy. And it overwhelms me almost to the point 
well, it wasn't overwhelming so much that like I couldn't control it or couldn't deal with it, but it had me in tears with how much just light and energy that was pulsing through it. It was like, I knew I had to have this stone. Um, and I got that probably two years ago and it is still one of my favorite stones. It is a beauty and I love it. Um, I also have a Moldavite bracelet that my boyfriend got me that I had a very similar reaction to. Um, when I tried it on in the store, I just fell in love, felt the pulsing, felt the vibrations. I mean, you could feel it just running up my arm and, you know, just filling my heart center. It was an amazing experience. I love my Moldavite bracelet. Um, with Moldavite, sometimes you'll feel what's called the Moldavite flush and it's literally a heat sensation. So for some people, Moldavite is just too much. My boyfriend, for example, who got me the, the bracelet, he can't even wear it or touch it because it's way too much energy for him. Like he'll get a headache. He can't, he just can't. And that's okay. It's not for him. It's for me. I love it. Um, but it is actually, um, some people get, yeah, that heating sensation and it will travel up your body. So for some people, if that's too much, Moldavite is just not for you. That's okay. No judgment. There's other great stones out there that are. Um, and then one stone that I recently got a few weeks ago that I am in love with. It's a big chunk of natural light and I haven't really worked with it yet. Uh, I've got it cleansed, got its good sun spa day. Um, but I haven't activated or programmed it yet. I think we're still filling each other out. I'm looking at it right now, actually. Um, it's a beautiful piece. It just, it feels good to be around. It makes me feel happy. Um, but yeah, we're still filling each other out and like how best we can work with each other before I actually activate and program it. Um, but I love to just sit and stare at it. I've got it sitting on a large quartz cluster, uh, in my window seal right here. And it's beautiful. I love it. Um, so again, you know, sometimes you just get stones that you just want to be in their energy and you don't want to work with them right away. You just enjoy being in their energy. And this is when I definitely love being in its energy. Okay. So when you're working with stones, you want to be sure to frequently observe them. So you got to check for subtle changes in your crystals. Um, stones that are working extra hard for you have a tendency to pit, chip, or even crack. Um, I know, for example, I was going through a really, really hard time constantly de- dealing with negativity, psychic attacks. I mean, it got crazy cakes for a hot minute. Um, and my sister had given me a snowflake obsidian to help with that. And I kept that stone on me 24-7 in my pocket. And it did its job. It was working overtime, way overtime. Um, I kept it in my pocket. And I I want to stress this <laughs> of how you can tell when a stone is just like, oh, that poor little baby um, working so hard because there was nothing in my pocket. So there was no um, like coins or other stones or anything. But that stone got so pitted. I mean, just absolutely almost destroyed for how hard it was working for me. And I truly appreciate it. Um, So when a stone has done its job, so I got through that whole process. um, It was, you know, 
it was hard, but I got through a lot of uh, meditation, spell work, working with that stone. Lots of good things happened for me in the end. Um, but when a stone has done its work, like that one did, uh, a great thing to do is to bury them and give them back to the earth. So I've had, not only was that one pitted, I've had exa- uh, examples where, you know, my crystal literally cracked in two. Um, that snowflake obsidian did not, but I've had a moonstone before that I was working with and it literally just cracked in two. Um, out of nowhere. I was just like in shock because I loved that piece, but it's work with me was done. And so things like that, go ahead and bury them, give them back to the earth, thank them, um, for their hard work and let it go. And sometimes it's heartbreaking. It, It absolutely is, but they've done all they can do. And, you know, or we accomplished our goal and it was just done. (laughs) And I know it sounds so sad, but yeah, give them back to the earth, say thank you and move on. It does happen. You know, sometimes they are finished. Your time together is just finished and that's okay. Um, I've also had from time to time where crystals will hide from me. They just are gone. And then later they show up. And the only thing I can think of is... You know, it just wasn't the one to work with me. I needed a different stone, not that stone, even though that was the one stuck in my brain, had to have it. It wasn't the right one. Um, And so sometimes this will happen. This literally happened recently. I was looking for a Labradorite and I knew I had placed it on the bathroom sink and I looked on the bathroom sink. I actually looked several times on the bathroom sink and it was not there. My boyfriend even went and looked. It was not there. A week later, it showed up on the bathroom sink. So things happen, you know, trust it, go with it. Um, And I've also had some stones just disappear and never come back. And yeah, it's sad, but I just like to think that it made its way to where it was really supposed to be. Our time together was done. Um, That happens in life, as we all know. So that is our crystal show. I hope you have... um, a better understanding of how crystals work, you know, from their crystal lattice structure, from the atom makeup to the minerals that lend their properties to help you with your metaphysical and healing work that needs to be done. Um, so many stones out there, so much to talk about. Again, they're finding new ones constantly. I mean, you can have stones and crystals that help you with, you know, pain, uh, prosperity, abundance, creativity, you name it, there's probably a stone for that, really. Um, No joke. So if you have any other questions, things that maybe I did not cover, feel free to email us at thewitchsource at gmail.com and give me some time. But yeah, send me your questions. We'll either do an episode or, you know, email you back or what have you. So just um, if there's something you're wondering that I didn't hit, let me know. Now, resources of information that you can look up some stuff on crystals, you can go to healingcrystals.com. I think they're a good one. They have a lot of information. Um, We have energymuse.com and sagegoddess.com. Those are ones that um, I have personally used uh, to pull information from. Um, I feel pretty good about them. And books. So if you want to get some books, uh, I would recommend any of the crystal Bibles by Judy Hall, uh, the encyclopedia for crystals by Judy Hall. And she has got so many books on crystals from crystal prescriptions to 
how to do grids to you name it. Judy Hall's probably written it as far as it goes with crystals. And she's a great resource. Melody is another uh, good one. Her book is love is in the earth, the crystal and mineral encyclopedia. Now this one, I don't think it's in print anymore. So to get your hands on it, it's pretty expensive, but she is an excellent resource. Cassandra Eason. Um, that's E A S O N and her book is healing crystals. That's a good resource. Robert Simmons, the pocket book of stones. Um, and I recently got his new book that was just published, uh, in February 21 is the pocket book of stones, the revised and expanded edition. And it actually has, um, several of the newest stones that they they have discovered, but he has a lot of really good information. And then another book that I found interesting for rituals and self-healing of working with crystals, um, it's by, it's called Crystal Muse and it's by Heather Askinosi and Timmy Jandro. I probably slaughtered their names. I apologize. Um, but it had, it's a book, it's got some really interesting, um, ways to bring crystals into ritual work with you, um, for specific purposes. And then I want to mention some apps that you can get. So one of my favorite crystal apps is Crystal Guru. And what I like about it is it provides pictures, metaphysical properties, affirmations, chakra information, zodiac, and the chemistry. And I also really like it because you can star, there's a little star button you can click and it helps you keep track of maybe the crystals that you want to get, or maybe the ones that you already have. Um, another app is crystal collection and it gives information and the history of the stone, which I like, and it describes the crystal structure as well as the hardness. It also lists the metaphysical properties, the chakras, zodiac, numerology, element, and planetary associations. So there's a lot of information in this one. The downside of this app is the pictures are drawings. So it makes it really hard to make sure that you're on the right stone if you're not sure, um, because the stone's their drawings. They don't really look like stones. So that's one downside to that app. There is the healing crystals app, which yes, is the same healingcrystals.com website that I uh, referenced. And it provides a lot of the same information as online and you can purchase through the app. Um, the one downside to the app, it's kind of my last go-to to look for stuff is that there are several pop-ups within the app. So it makes it really frustrating to use because there's there's a lot going on. It's kind of, it really is my last resort as far as an app. Um, but I do have it. So I wanted to mention it. There is a new app coming out that I'm really excited about. It's called crystal eyes and that's crystal space eyes, E Y E S. And it's an, it's not launched yet, but I'm hoping they're going to launch it soon. And so what they're hoping to accomplish with this app is for you to be able to take a picture of your crystal and it will identify it for you because sometimes identifying crystals is really hard and a lot of them look alike. So it probably, it, well, there's no way that it can be hundred percent accurate because so many crystals do look very much alike and you have to actually dive into their structure, um, their makeup, a lot of things. But I think it's going to be a pretty good app overall for a lot of your basic stones to identify them. Um, and it will offer you an opportunity to library your crystals, um, which I think is going to be a premium feature that you'll have to pay for. Um, but it might be worth it if you're really into crystals like I am. And the release, 
will start with the top 100 most common crystals. And then they're going to, you know, keep adding crystals along the way, but they're starting with a, at the most 100 common crystals. And if you go to our Facebook page, the witch source, you will find a link to the app and you can sign up for notifications of when that app will release, which I'm super excited about. Um, and another focus of this app is to connect people with ethically sourced vendors, which to me is important. So if that's important to you, if you've decided that's something for you, um, again, you can go to our Facebook page grab the link and go check it out. Um, Oh, one thing I wanted to mention about gems too. There are a lot of fake ones out there. So some gems are, you know, replicated. And I want to just touch on this really quick. So there are what we call synthetic gems. And these are gems that are lab created. And they include the same minerals as the natural stones, but they're created in a lab where they try to put them through a similar process as if they were in the earth um, to get that crystal lattice structure formed. Um, and it's almost impossible to tell these apart, actually. Again, goes back to check your source. Uh, is it synthetic or is it real? So they may be the actual gemstone as far as the crystal lattice and the minerals present. The only difference is they are not a natural gemstone. They are a synthetic gemstone. Okay. The next type of stone that is not quite what it seems to be is a simulated stone. And these are gems that are usually a mix of natural gemstone and artificial additions to create the look of a regular gemstone. So an example would be a garnet that has been enhanced to make it look like a ruby. So it is a real garnet, but it's a simulated ruby. So again, you want to find really good uh, places to buy that there is transparency in what you're truly buying. But if you see the word simulated, that means it's been artificially enhanced. And these types of gems can be again, made with natural gemstones, like the garnet to ruby example, or they can be completely artificial materials and not include any real gemstone. So an example would be simulated opal, which is made with, you know, different chemicals and plastic, and it's made to look just like opal, but it's not real opal. Um, and then there are man-made stones. So gold stone and opalite are examples of man-made stones. Um, they're a makeup of, uh, you know, whether it be copper or platinum or gold and resins and glass and, you know, heat treated. But anyway, goldstone and opalite are examples of man-made stones. Um, and the thought behind that is some people believe that these types of man-made stones are still helpful and that they hold metaphysical properties and healing effects for you. Um, I'll let you decide that for yourself. You know, there are minerals there most of the time um, that do have properties. So, you know, that's up to you to decide. And with the synthetic gems, the ones that are lab created, uh, what seems to be across the board is that they work the same as the natural gemstones, but they um, are like a, a lesser version of it. You know, like, where the natural gemstone feels like an electric shock, your thin synthetic gemstone that's been lab created is gonna just kind of fizzle. <laughs> so sometimes you can tell a difference that way. Um, another type of 
stone that you'll come across is a treated stone. Now, these are crystals, real crystals, natural crystals, that have been treated to enhance their features. Um, and the most common is being heat treated to enhance their color. So a lot of times um, through different types of heat treatment, you can enhance the color of amethyst and you can also transform an amethyst into citrine. So there's different ways you want to know if it's natural or if it's been treated as to when you're purchasing. Um, and then often uh, the most common that I've run across as far as treated are the aura crystals, which have been heat treated with metal such as gold or platinum. And they undergo this alchemical transformation to bond that material to the crystal to actually enhance its natural properties. And in most cases, add additional properties to the crystal um, to the point of making it a high vibrational stone. So if you're doing research on your like aura quartz, um, angel aura quartz, there, there's all kinds of aura um, stones out there. They have been enhanced. And the thought behind that is, yes, they've been treated with heat and had things added to them. But through the additions, it's enhancing the natural properties of the stone or adding because you're adding a mineral to the stone. So you're actually changing what that properties are because you're adding minerals. Um, and then another one that you'll probably come across are dyed stones. Um, often dyed stones are to take on, they take on bright and brilliant colors. And sometimes they're sold as the real stone and sometimes they're not. So howlite, for example, will often be dyed and sold as turquoise. Howlite is a white stone and it looks very much like a turquoise without color. So then they will dye it the color of turquoise and sell it as that. So you want to really be sure of what you're getting. And a lot of times agates and quartz you will find that have been dyed. Um, if they have really bright colors, a lot of times they have been dyed because how light agate and quartz are, are exceptionally easy to dye. So those are some things that you're going to probably come across um, in your crystal searching. And you know, another good idea would be to journal about your crystals and working with them so that you have um, proof for yourself of these stones working in your life and, you know, helping you manifest the intentions in which you've set for them. So I hope that this has been helpful to you. Uh, you know, I see a lot of this kind of information like broken into these classes people have to pay for and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I just really wanted to make it uh, available to you so that you can empower yourself and you know how to work with your stones as we again go through these episodes and tell you about some really wonderful stones. So I hope that you will uh, go follow us on Facebook. We're on Instagram, The Witch Source, all one word, The Witch Source, no spaces, W I T C H, Witch Source. Yes, that's it. Uh, we hope to see you there. We get, look forward to getting your emails, answering your questions. Um, yeah, we're going to be bringing some really empowering information because that's what we're here to do. And we will see you next time.